Hello, everyone. I am your host, Trent Meyer, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Bank Statements, part of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka podcast series. Today, I have a very fascinating guest joining me. He's the CEO and founder of Market Insights, a consulting firm with expertise in market assessments, delivery system planning, strategic planning, branding, marketing, and culture transformation. Mr. Joe Sullivan's with us today. Joe has more than 25 years of experience as a consultant, author, and professional speaker, often focusing on themes of growth, innovation, and motivation. And, you know, Joe's been speaking at the regional meetings for the Federal Home Loan Bank over the last couple of months and has a few more, a few more coming up, but he's been talking about the concept of competing in the digital age of banking. And that's what we're going to focus on on today's podcast and dive a little bit deeper into some of the themes that Joe that Joe's been talking about. So Joe, thank you for joining us. It's certainly a pleasure to have you. Trent, thank you for inviting me. As always, it's a pleasure and, and uh, great to be chatting with you here again today. I think not even two weeks since I saw you last. I know, I know. Yep, that was that was good at the regional meeting and we're going to dive into some of those concepts a little bit more. And, and as I mentioned, great. you know, today we're going to discuss the the future of the financial services industry and provide some food for thought for our listeners and our members. But before we head down that path, there's actually one thing that really resonated with me as you and I were having some discussions, and, and that was your thoughts on empathy. Um, can you describe for our listeners what empathy means to you and more importantly, why it is increasingly important within the financial services industry, especially to some of those sales professionals? Yes, absolutely. And it's not just for sales professionals, it's for anyone in any business today. But quite simply, empathy, not to be confused with sympathy, is the ability to put yourself in the life experience and in the shoes, the proverbial shoes, as they say, of another human being. And so what are they feeling? What are they thinking? What is it like to be a single mom working a um you know, a, a job at a grocery store with concerns about health or a recently uh, a business owner who might have lost their restaurant. Not that these are all bad examples, but the more that we who serve the public can understand what's going on in someone's lives, that is where you're going to connect with them on a deeper level. So, you know, I mean, I have a lot to say on the subject of that, but I think first, you know, COVID has unearthed a lot of uh, emotion and financial opportunity and financial challenge for consumers. And while not everyone is struggling, a lot of people may have lost their job. They're wondering about the viability of their farm going forward. Uh, They may not have anybody to pass it down to because their kids long ago moved to Denver or Los Angeles. And so when a banker can understand that and help a customer plan and solve problems, um, through that filter, I think it's going to be, you know, better. Um, so COVID really, really challenged everyone. And I think that what it, it drew clear is that we all need a champion. And I think that bankers, again, as a, a verb here, not a noun, whether they work at a credit union or a bank doesn't matter. But I think that you can be the champion for the customer or the member. And I think that they need that now more than ever. Uh, the pandemic made that clear. The challenges and the opportunities made that clear. And so empathy is really what I call the currency of the new economy, the currency of the post-pandemic economy, because we all need to be heard and listened to. And what I've often said 
is that the greatest gift we can give to another human being is to let them know that they have been heard and listened to and understood. And I think that is vital for every business today, regardless of the industry. You know, um, just one quick example, there is a credit union in North Carolina that I talked about in a recent speech called Coastal Credit Union, and they do what's called the, the concept of empathy mapping. And they broke their, their, their member contact people up into groups, and they gave the six or eight groups, or however many there were, they gave them each a, a scenario that was going on in a hypothetical member's life. You know, some of it really good and expert, you know, great, and some of it maybe not so, so good. And what each group had to do is to step inside what it would be like to live that member's life, what they would be thinking and feeling and saying and acting on. And what it did is it made the bankers more aware that their job is so much deeper and so much more profound than the title that's on their business card. So yeah. I can go on forever, but I'm going to take a break here and see if you want to say anything. Sure. I mean, that's a very fascinating example and that concept of, of empathy and understanding what's going on with the customers becoming increasingly important. And as you said, you know, the pandemic really brought that to life. And I think that one of the best examples of how the the financial services or banking industry really showed their ability to be empathetic was throughout the entirety of the PPP loan process. I mean, they took all these customers that they had and they were able to understand what they were going through and work with them to get this done. So although that's a little small piece of this empathy conversation, I think it shows how important it is within the banking industry because of some of the actions there too. Right. And, and PPP is not a one-off. And what I've, I've said to every banker I've talked to in the last year and a half, that it is not, um, this is not just something you did once and you're done. The, the skills, the listening, the care, the burning the midnight oil that you had to do to show up for those customers, you just proved as a banker that you had it in you. And I'm speaking directly to our listeners here today. You prove that you can do this. And what I'm suggesting you to consider is that that's the way it's going to be going forward. So there isn't going back to kind of some pre-COVID way of we can relax and take a breath. There is no opportunity to relax or take a breath or slow down or to not be empathic. That's the new, to use an overused phrase, that's the new normal. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I thank you for your for your thoughts on that. And, and I think our listeners are going to find that very important. So let's let's shift gears here just for a second. And let's, let's start to look at the future of this financial services industry as of course, empathy is part of that. But I think we have a couple of other concepts that I'd really like to touch on. And the first one is the concept of buy now pay later. You talk a lot about this. Uh, can you describe for our listeners what this concept is and how it relates to the financial services banking industry? All right. So First, it's rapidly revolutionizing the consumer credit market. Um, imagine if you've gone to um, uh, a, a platform like Etsy, where you find that you want to buy a $400 piece of furniture for your living room, and you go to check out. And when you check out, you can either put in your, your credit debit card or whatever you have linked, or you can say, would you like to pay this in four or five installments? And so the buy now, pay later, for some in the audience that might remember this term, this is kind of a, a, um, a digital version of layaway. Now, layaway meant that you could hold something back at Kmart and pay it over four or five installments and not get the goods until you were paid off. But the idea is that, that retailers on a national worldwide basis are, 
are making this kind of payment option available to consumers directly within the platform. So it also, like the next thing we're gonna talk about, it's kind of embedded in. And so, but that obviously requires a lot of technology to be able to do that. But it's speaking to the consumer's need to have a different way to pay for something. So I, I could go on and on, but let me just give you some stats as to the size of this market. It's, it's projected to be $126 billion industry this year. That's up 41% since 2020. So clearly this is something that is catching people's uh, attention. It is giving them another option for how to pay with credit. And I use that in quotation marks. Um, but it's really uh, speaking to what's going on in the fintech sector. So, you know, when I was with you, Trent, two weeks ago or whenever that was um, at one of the, the meetings, um, I don't even think that Square had announced yet. But Square, of course, which is a, you know, for lack of a better word, a platform, but a merchant processor for many, many businesses around, I'll just say the country, uh, they bought and acquired and made the announcement that they're going to acquire Australian-based Afterpay. And Afterpay has something like 18 million, um, let's see, yeah, 16 million customers and nearly 100,000 merchants globally. So what that means now is that if you're already on the payment platform and using Square and you're a business, now you'll be able to offer that as an option if a consumer comes to you and spends $400 on something, that they'll be able to pay that using Afterpay with Square. So again, what I've often said is banking is something that we do, not necessarily someplace that we go. But Square and its reach and the other fintechs that are doing that uh, and PayPal's called Pay in Four, these are, again, options for the consumer to pay for whatever they're purchasing, to do it right within the platform. And the technology is set up in order to do that. And why smaller institutions listening today need to pay attention to that is while this is a lot of it is geared toward the big banks and the big fintechs because they've got the money to invest in the technology what i think smaller institutions need to do is is really be looking at their suite of consumer credit products and say how do we make this easier for the consumer to get a $500 sort of microloan for lack of a better way to put it yeah absolutely i mean that's what i'm thinking about uh, when you start talking about them being able to do this through the places like Square, I mean, any of these people, any of these customers that are coming in, especially to our smaller community financial institutions that typically get these smaller consumer loans to maybe do things like that, uh, those could go away. So certainly any of our listeners that are involved within that industry or or want to pick something up in that industry need to be aware of buy now, pay later. So when you're talking to these community financial institutions, is there is it just a concept to be aware of? Is there anything that they could implement to compete with this? Of course, you talk about make it easier to get some of these loans, but what other advice might you have uh, for them to compete in this space? And, and I, I will answer that in, in a minute, Trent, but what I'd like to say first, I'd like to read a quote from Jack Dorsey, because I pulled the information before we sat down today on the Afterpay acquisition. And I want to read you what Jack Dorsey, the CEO and founder of Square had to say. And he said, and I quote, we built our business to make the financial system more fair, accessible, and inclusive. And Afterpay has built a trusted brand aligned with those principles, he said in the statement. Together, we can better connect our cash app and seller ecosystems to deliver more compelling products and services for merchants and consumers, putting the power back in their hands. So I think that quote says it all. So what does the small institution do? I kind of alluded to it. Clearly, you know, they've, they've 
you know, they probably don't have the digital lending platform set up to be able to connect with, say, merchants in their town or in their footprint. But what I would do first is go through the suite, the, the, consuite, the suite of consumer lending products that they have and look at how they're being able to be delivered to the consumer. Can they be applied for easily within the mobile app? Can they fund them within a matter of hours? Is there a decision about credit and if it, you know, one way or the other quickly? These are the things, again, any FinTech today um, is speaking to the ease of use for the consumer. And this is another example of that. Um, so I would review what they've got and how quickly they can get that money, that application, that loan, whatever it is, in the hands of the consumer. And I think that's where they've got to start. And there might be um, a chance for them to look at what are fintechs that they could potentially partner with to expedite some of that process. So while there's not a perfect um, answer to your question, I think you got to really look at what you're doing. And if you've been doing it for more than five years, chances are it's out of date and irrelevant from the consumer's point of view. Yeah, sure. And I think that's about the best advice that you can give. I mean, just making people aware that, hey, this is happening. Keep an eye on what's happening with your within your consumer portfolio. And if there's some steps that you need to take to make sure that you're not losing any of that business. And like you said, maybe look into other fintechs you can partner with. I think that's, that's fantastic advice. I want to say one other thing, if we have enough time. Sure, please okay. do. So, I mean, obviously, PayPal has what's called pay and for. That's one to look at. Affirm is another one. Affirm is partnering with kind of some of the high-end retailers in the United States for kind of a, um, a pay right there kind of idea. There's Afterpay that I mentioned. And then there's Klarna. And just before I got on the call, I'm thumbing through Facebook, and up pops a, an, an ad from Klarna. And it's like Klarna is the big kahuna here. They have 18 million American consumers. Um, they're live with 24 of the top 100 retailers like Ikea and, and Nike and Saks. Globally, they have more than 90 million active users and more than 2 million transactions a day conducted on the platform. The future of banking is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah, yeah, very true. And that's great perspective and, and great stats there. And thank you for mentioning some of those companies because I'm sure that you know some people just and some of our listeners just like myself may not know where to look first and being able to go and look at how some of these uh, particular companies are structured and what they're doing gives us a better idea of what we need to do and how we can compete. So, well, when they, And they speak to transparency. They're very clear. Like the benefit for the consumer is it expedites the ability to make a decision. The merchants like it because the consumer makes a decision faster. It's clear. It's speaking to a younger demographic. It's transparent. And those are all things that a younger customer values. Absolutely. Absolutely. Transparency, simplicity, those are great buzzwords to keep in mind. So let's uh, let's talk about another concept here in the, in the future of, of financial institutions and financial industry space. And, and it relates, you know, somewhat with the buy now, pay later. And that's the idea of embedded finance. It's a, you know, a topic that you discuss very frequently. Can you explain to our listeners what embedded finance is, what that looks like? Okay, I'm going to give the best example, and I gave this at your president's meeting, but because it's so wide-reaching, when we as consumers have a brand that we trust, we like them, whether it's Walgreens or T-Mobile or, or Ikea or whatever it is, when they make the next extension and say, hey, we're going to offer you a credit card or we're going to offer you a checking account, 
what they're doing is these, these non-financial brands that have a trusted relationship with the consumer, and the consumer really likes that, when they make the extension and they offer banking as a service, um, many consumers are going to say yes. So as an example, Walgreens, um, you know, the Pharmacy America Trust and all that, you probably heard me talk about that before, but they announced earlier this year that as part of their, I think it was called their profit enhancement strategy or something, um, that they were going to start offering checking accounts through their 9,000 stores. Um, and really they're offering a digital uh, checking product um, that you can open in the store or you can open on their site. But the idea is that we trust Walgreens. It's like, okay, they're gonna get into the banking business and I don't know how many people you know, live within a, like a three mile of Walgreens, like, but it's, it's like more than half the US population. So even if they skim a little tiny bit off the top, this idea of banking is embedded in these super apps. So you're going to see more of that, that Amazon is now doing the same thing. You know, you're going to see more of this where platforms that are already out there are starting to offer banking services. And Walmart is doing the same thing. Walmart's set up their own fintech to be able to um, offer initially banking services to employees of which there are 2.5 million and customers of which there are who heaven only knows how many of there there are so embedded isn't really new but it's it's this idea of partnerships between non-bank entities and banking entities but you know we have um community bank clients one that is roughly a billion dollars that started a um a sub brand called Aspiration that you have probably heard of. But one of the things they did early on is they started offering banking as a service. They're the underpinnings. It is behind the scenes. They're not up front, but they're powering the banking services or the ability for some of their commercial clients or you know, their business clients to be able to uh, offer the banking service right within their platform. And our client, Coastal Community Bank, um, then does all the banking work. So I, I think I got a little bit wordy on that. So let me give you maybe an example that's more relevant. So let's say that our listeners here in this audience, um, let's just take medical practices as an example. And let's say that that somebody in this audience that their thing is, is dental lending or cosmetic surgery. And so when the consumer goes into the doctor and decides to get a $3,000 dental something, it's really high end and the insurance isn't going to cover it. Um, wouldn't it be nice that that dental practice could say, you know, you can pay this right through the relationship that we have with the firm or with Klarna and being able to offer the financing right then and there to the consumer who then does not have to pull out a credit card and does not have to pull out their debit card, but rather finances it in this alternative way. Did that make sense? Yeah, I think that does make sense to me. And, and I think that you you brought it into a very relative context there because I'm sure that many of our listeners have relationships with a variety of different companies within their communities that offer these more high-end expensive products. And and a lot of those places probably have their own sort of applications that they use now uh, that their customers get to flip through. And so if, if you do have those as a listener in a community financial institution, think through some of your clients. If you have some of those relationships, maybe that's a conversation that could be had. How can you integrate your banking system and software and service into their application. So if they do have things like that come through, they can offer that to their customers as well. It's a fascinating concept. And they can be behind the scenes, but still do what they do well, 
but right. opera is behind the scenes. It's almost like this might be a bad example, but like in the credit union world, there's the, the indirect car loans. In some ways, that's a behind the scenes kind of financing yeah. that they're offering to the dealers. And so I don't want the listener to think that's exactly what it is, but I think that's a parallel way of thinking about it, is that banks and credit unions, regardless of size, have these capabilities. And maybe what they can do is offer those capabilities to some of the businesses in the community. And yet that's another revenue stream. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it helps Steven develop relationships with customers that they may not see otherwise as well. I mean, who knows, maybe that customer that's going with one of your uh, commercial customers that you have isn't currently a member of your institution and they see your name all over stuff and they decide to move in, you know, through that Avenue. So, you know, it's, it's very fascinating. I, I do have a, another question for you that I'd like to ask. And, and I know that we just talked about buy now, pay later. We talked about embed, embedded finance. Um, but the last topic I really want to discuss is how can financial institutions attract this younger generation of consumers? And I'm sure that these two concepts are part of that. But do you have any other suggestions on that front on how they can do that? I do. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list four things here. One I already mentioned. First of all, be transparent, because whether it's Gen Z or Gen Y, you know, pretty much that covers people age 42 and younger right now, probably you yourself. And first, you got to be transparent up front. That's what buy now, pay later has done. It's been directly up front that you're going to pay four payments and here's the, the fees or lack thereof. So this is about a way of being. The second thing is that you need to have a clearly communicated purpose. You know, what we know about younger consumers and where banks and credit unions most of the time, not all, have missed the boat is that they don't stand for something that resonates with the consumer. You know, if if I value certain things, if I value time with my family or whatever it is, um, then if my bank or credit union is speaking to me through those filters, I'm going to understand that. So I have a clearly communicated purpose. Stand for something because younger generations do business with brands that they trust and that are consistent with their own values. So transparency is another one. But the big one in here, obviously, is you have to focus on making the digital experience seamless and speed and simple. And some of the words that I mentioned in the regional meetings, and this is the first and foremost thing you've got to do above all the other things. Obviously, purpose is very clear, but you've got to focus on digital because that is how you will be judged. Um, I don't know what the the abandonment rates are, but how quickly people will leave an app if they can't get to where they need to go. And where was I the other day? I was at a, a financial institution and we had this discussion during their planning meeting that they um, something more than 80% of the people that go to their app to apply for a consumer loan, abandon the process. So that really spoke to the things that they've got to, you know, really take care of. Um, I think the other thing is, this might sound really simplistic, but you've got to get to know them. You've got to get to know who people are now. And, and I'm not saying you have to put a massive voice of the customer or member initiative in place, but you have to have conversations with them in the chat bot, over the phone, in a video conference, you've got to find out where your consumers are now. And most smaller or most younger consumers feel like their bank or credit simply does not get them. So 
I've given you, Trent, some bigger picture kind of stuff, but you've got to have a clear purpose because that's how they're going to decide, hey, this, this organization resonates with what I value. I'll give them a shot. You've got to be clear and upfront what the costs are, what the fees are, what the terms are. You've got to focus on digital as a number one, and you have to get to know them. And all these things would speak to really any generation, you know, not just that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of that comes back to your concept of empathy that you discussed. That's getting to know them. One of the things that you know, stuck with me that you and I had talked about before was institutions almost need to get rid of, you know, sales training and and implement empathy training, because if you can understand your customer, that solves a lot of these things of of where you need to go from there. And, and, you know, in a world now where location isn't going to be everything for a financial institution, I can bank with anybody I want to across the, across the country. Um, That piece of empathy and understanding who your target audience is and how you can reach them is going to be critically important, I think. Absolutely. And people, you know, we're all tone deaf. I mean, how many emails and robocalls do you get every day? We tune that stuff out. So anything that feels like a sales pitch, regardless of demographic cohort, we tune it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, And transparency, ease of use. I mean, you talk about that, that, example you gave of, of people exiting the process because it's too difficult. Ease of use is something that's so important. I just think about the apps that I use on a day-to-day basis and how simply simply laid out they are and how easy it is to, to do whatever it is I need to do in it. Important. You know, and I want to, this might be digressing a bit, but I want to just say this, that, you know, I opened up an account, I've been talking about it, I opened up an account with Ally last year, and then I financed, of course, my Peloton bike through a firm. And what I've been watching is how they cross market me, because I got in there with a little tiny savings account at a, at um, Ally, and I got the, you know, the little consumer loan for the bike from a firm, and they're both and then PayPal on top of it, these platforms that I use, they're consistently offering me something that seems appropriate for where I am. And so they're using data and a variety of things, and we won't digress and go off into that conversation, but that, you know, they're not going to quit with just one. Once the consumer is hooked in the idea that, wow, this was really easy, they want more. Mm-hmm. So if you want your consumers and your businesses and your farm and your ag businesses to want more, then you've got to make it easy for them to do business with you. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we start to kind of wrap things up here, I think, I think the last thing I'd, I'd like to hear from you is, you know, when, when it comes to the future of the financial services industry and what our listeners, our members need to do to stay relevant, stay competitive, What's going to be that one piece of advice, that final takeaway that you'd like to leave with everybody? I have three. That's okay. <laughs> we could, yeah, three is just fine. <laughs> so, um, stop trying to get back to the way things were. And that is a mindset. And it is one that every human being on the planet, it is human nature to be in stasis, to want to stay things the way that, keep things the way that they are. The more we can let go of that, the more we can make the decisions to evolve the business how it needs to be. So I want that to be people's mantra, you know, like stop getting back to the way, stop trying to get back to the way things were. The second is really what this is. When I look back at all the interactions I have through speeches and client work, there's one word that comes to mind, change. And so you need to prepare your organization and your teams to thrive 
and accept and embrace change. And while these sound like ethereal, big picture comments, it is critical. The, the idea of an organization and the people within it to change today is more important than ever before. And that leads me really to the third thing is that you need to focus on resiliency and agility. So all of those, what I'm saying is when you said, what are your kind of one piece of advice? It's going to be tending to your team and the culture and those characteristics of not trying to snap back, being prepared for change, being resilient, and focusing on it because agility is, you know, the ability to think and act quickly. And it's going to what's going to allow people to make decisions about things and get to the market quicker or pull initiatives that no longer work quicker. So as you can say, when you ask me one thing, you usually get a handful of things. So. <laughs> <laughs> the listener can take what they want. Hey, that's okay. It, it's all it's all great advice and, and great food for thought. And I and I think that those you know those three words, keywords, buzzwords, ideas, concepts are are great to think about right now because in this digital age, things do change fast. You have to be agile. You have to be willing to adapt to where things are going and and do it quickly, a lot more quicker than than maybe we've had to do in the past. So, I absolutely. Yeah. So I, I appreciate those, those three key takeaways and I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, you've been doing a lot for the federal home loan bank and, and, you know, on behalf of all of us, I would like to sincerely thank you for, for your time and your efforts and, and helping our members try to understand and, and, and hear some of these new concepts within the space and, and what they need to think about as we move forward. And sometimes it's relevant to them. Sometimes it's not, but it's always something that's important to think about and think about how it could potentially affect your business. So Thank you so much for that. And thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. And I think that's a great way to frame it. You know, um, thank you. Always glad to contribute. Just one final little plug that my colleague, Jim Perry, will be speaking at your regional meetings in Lawrence, Kansas and Oklahoma City coming up on September 27th and October 14th, respectively, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure you're going to tell him that anyway. So um, thank you all. Trent, thanks for everything you do and Jesse and Susan and the whole, and the whole group. Yes, absolutely. And, and for those of our listeners that are in um, Oklahoma and Kansas, um, please take a look at our public website and get registered for those events if you haven't already. But once again, thank you, Joe. And thank you for everybody that's tuning in with us for another episode of Bank Statements. Uh, we always appreciate your support. Uh, we've had very good feedback on these so far, and we love to keep them going. Stay tuned for our next episode where... We will be discussing the surge in public unit funds onto member balance sheets and maybe what you can do with some of those as they continue to roll in. And as always, if you have any suggestions for future topics, please reach out and let us know. Uh, we'd be happy to implement some of those as we can. Thanks again for joining us and until next time. The Bank Statements Podcast is brought to you by the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka and our members, the community financial institutions in Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. To learn more about our cooperative and get the most out of your membership, reach out to your regional account manager or friendly lending staff at 800-809-2733.